The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. What would a collective study of near-death experiences tell us about the nature of God? Can we take an overview of NDEs and distressing NDEs to draw a collective, more comprehensive picture of the other side? Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Our guest today, PMH Atwater, is one of the most important researchers in near-death experience today. Author of more than 15 books, she returns to NDE Radio to discuss the findings of her important new book, Dying to Know You, Proof of God in the Near-Death Experience. About her new book, Atwater has commented, What has been missing from my work, from everyone else's work, from personal stories, from those who interpret personal stories, uh, from experts in religion and spirituality, from the news media, the scientists, the grief-stricken, and the born-again, is the voice of the collective, inside what we all seek to describe. What lies at the heart of near-death experiences? A God that, in ways beyond description, smiles at you. Not the God of holy writ, but a source place, an all-encompassing oneness. PMH first visited with NDE Radio on September 23, 2013, and most recently on our June 8, 2015 show. PMH, welcome back to NDE Radio. It's my privilege to be here. Well, it's wonderful to, to hear your voice again. PMH, reading this book, Dying to Know You, I couldn't help but think that if we'd had this 120-page book at the seminary, we could have eliminated whole libraries of theological speculation. <laughs> well, yeah, really, uh, and all kinds of research and all kinds of everything, because <laughs> this is the voice of the people. Mm. Uh, that's what makes the book unique. Yes, there's a little bit of research in it. Yes, there's a few stories in it, but but they but that constitutes a very small part of the book. All of the book is the is is the condensed, if you will, voices of over five thousand adult and child experiencers of near death states. All I did was sum the voice of the many. That's all I did. It's their voices talking about what happened to them and how they feel about it and what they know now because of it. So that's what makes Dying to Know You unique. There's no other book like it in the field. I mean, it just isn't there. Nobody else has done it. I know. I wish, I wish I'd written this book, PMH. <laughs> I, I thought it was terrific. I, I love the way it opens with God is, death isn't. I mean, that's it. <laughs> you, you could have stopped there, but I'm, I'm so glad you didn't because uh, uh, the book itself, just it's revelation after revelation. It's terrific. You, you know, one of the reasons science and religion don't talk to each other is science looks at the particular and religion looks at the big picture. And I'm wondering how you made this leap from the, from the one to the other so beautifully. Well, um, <laughs> I didn't do it by choice. <laughs> If you read the introduction, no way did I plan to write this book. I, I, I mean, you know, I mean, this isn't like any book I've ever written. No, and it's very small. You know, it's not like any book I've ever written. I was just minding my own business <laughs> on a plane 
going to San Francisco, California, to deliver um, several weeks, two and a half weeks of talks, uh, different places, uh, different groups. And, you know, I'm just sitting in the plane minding my own business. And, and in front of me, in the air in front of me, about a foot and a half, maybe two feet in front of me, a book started writing itself. Mm. And here came uh, the title, then um, the table of contents, then, then the frontispiece, then outlines of uh, 11 chapters, and the back matter. And it, it, it was like a, it was like a, have you ever been caught in a computer loop? You know, it just oh, yes. <laughs> around, you can't stop the thing. Well, that's what it was, it was a computer loop. <laughs> and I just kept looking at that and thinking, oh, this is just stupid. I mean, I'm wide awake. I'm not the least bit sleepy. And, and, and this is happening. And it was not, it was not another being. It was not a disincarnate. It was not a ghost. It was not the voice of God. None of this stuff. It was just a book writing itself. And, and when I landed in San Francisco, and all the different duties I had, and, you know, here and there, and what have you, um, whenever I had a spare moment, that computer loop would start up again. Um, And finally I decided, you know, (laughs) maybe I ought to write this down. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm so so glad you did. Um, uh, You know, what clinched it, it, uh, Lee, was... I started getting angry I, because this happened without my permission, without my interest, without my knowledge. I mean, I was being, quote, unquote, used, and there's no way, no how that I want to be used unless I've gotten that through prayer and meditation and, you know, gone the right routes to get that. And, and, and so I was really, really bothered. And I and I was, believe it or not, I was with Mel and Thomas Benedict, and and he wanted to show me the redwoods. So on the way to the redwoods, we stopped at this funky little town in in California, just this funky little bitty town. And mm-hmm. and he wanted to take me to, to uh, the antique dealer, and right next door was this nondescript but interesting looking wooden building, no sign. But on the street, it said Greek Orthodox Church, and I love Greek Orthodox churches. Yes. And I just made a beeline to the church, and Mel and Thomas is saying, no, 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 we're supposed to go this way. I said, no, I'm going this way. <laughs> and went right in there, and nobody there, but the place is unlocked. I went to the Holy of Holies, and I got down on my hands and knees, forehead to the floor. I mean, I'm just really saying my prayers and saying, you know, help me, help me. What is this? And and then I, <laughs> I hear this really soft, grandfatherly voice that says, you know, hush, 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 now do your work. You know, and I'm going, oh. you know, God really works in different ways, and apparently this really is God. You know, I, I, I just had that feeling that, you know, this really is something that's coming through from a level that I can trust. And and and, it, and that's what did it. That's what did it. 
And then I sort of gave in to what was happening, and that's when I did my work. And two months before the book was to be published, two months, this this com- computer loop comes back and gives me two more chapters. So the book has 13 <laughs> chapters. You know, the last two are very, very short. And, and the information in the 12th chapter, um, I really went out on a limb, you know, following guidance and put it down there and, and thinking, you know, I'm not a scientist. What am I doing? What am I doing talking about science? But, but I, you know, I really took a big stretch. And um, so I did it. And then <laughs> one month after I did it, well, no, it wasn't a month. It was a couple of weeks after I did it. This scientific announcement came through that they have now validated scientifically that what we used to call junk DNA, you know, 97% was junk DNA, that is the most important part of the DNA. It is the energetics that manages and runs and directs the whole program. DNA could do nothing without the energetics. It's the other half of the DNA. Mm-hmm. And and that's what's in Chapter 12. And, and do you I, think that's the our connection with, say, the uh, Akashic Record, what we call that uh, source of knowledge? Well, cer- certainly th- 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 that is a connection, but I think the greater connection is the fact that DNA operates as a circuit board. Mm. And, and, you know, so many near-death experiencers return feeling and seeing and thinking and knowing that the universe is alive. Of course it's alive. We can now prove that scientifically. It's that circuit board. It's the other half of the DNA. That is the major conduit through which the universe talks to each other. That's our connection. So perhaps that was that uh, collective information that was writing that book in front of your face. I could be. I mean, I, I haven't tried to figure that out. I just, I just did the work, <laughs> got it published. I said, okay, yeah, God, I did my work. <laughs> One of the things I, I loved uh, about this book was your chapter 11 on Revelation, where you say the only gospel we can ever know is the experience of God in our own heart. Love is the only standard. Choice is the only process. Forgiveness is the only protection anyone has. God is. God is love. God as love is the only standard. And then truth can be summed in four words, one mind, many thinkers. I thought that was just exquisite. Ah, well, you know, what can I say? Uh, you, you can't say anything after that because it's, it's like holy writ. You know, and it's coming from a source above and beyond anything you can describe or that I can describe. Yes. And and, and that whole book is full of that, you see. That's, that's the magic of this book. It's over 5,000 people who um, have have been able to speak and know and say, and like I said, all I did was sum the voice of the many. So it's, 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 it's the people... Lee, that, that, that's in the book. It's, the, it's their book. That book 
it is the book of the collective near-death experiencer, regardless of their age. Yes. So, so you're getting the wisdom of thousands of people. And I can't help but feel that it's hundreds of thousands, maybe millions. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, I wasn't privy to all those voices, but I was privy to enough voices that I can say that. One of the one of the things you mentioned early on is that um, uh, you know we don't ascribe any sex, male or female, to God, and yet for children, God is Father. And maybe I, when we're when we're thinking it as a child, we embrace God in that manner, and and so it stays with us as we as we get older. I didn't. I never found an exception to that. Now there might be one. You know, there's always exceptions, but I, hmm. I never found one. Children always experience God as a male, as a father or a grandfather figure. But but the thing that that captures me is with those who do it, and actually there are many. Um, they they will challenge God. You know, a little kid will will do anything. <laughs> And they'll even call up to God and say, you know, is this what you really look like? And in those cases, that God burst into this huge ball of light. And and again, I I never found an exception to that. And if they were met by angels, sometimes these little kids will do the same thing. Is this what you really look like? And again, the figure will burst into light. Um, not as big as God's light, but nonetheless, light. Mm. I know you described uh, the light of God as like 10,000 suns, the very essence, the heart and soul of ecstatic ecstasy. And I thought that was beautiful. I mean, this is the the people. These aren't my words. (laughs) But then tell us about this dark or black light that you observed as well, or that has been observed. Well, yeah, and even in the big book of near-death experiences, there's an, an adult case that he drew a picture of the black light that came to him. So the, uh, the, uh, his story and his drawing is in the big book of near-death experiences, which is owned by the International Association of Near-Death Studies, so everybody yes. out there, go <laughs> buy the big book. You know, <laughs> Thanks to your generosity, MH. <laughs> yeah, get that book. Um and uh, it's the idea that there are different lights. And, you know, some people say, well, a blue light, you know, and red light and all these other different kinds of lights. But predominantly, there are three major lights. And and many, many children have that dark or black light. Some adults do. Not as many that I've found as there are with children. And, and they describe that light as warm and snuggly there's something very um very protective about that light and very very knowing that light is just extremely wise um so this could be possibly the the feminine side the sophia side uh um... again (laughs) you go to the kids um when they describe this raw, piercing light and then this very soft and, and snuggly and warm light, uh, the, the raw, piercing light doesn't seem to have any color particularly. 
sort mm-hmm. of like a radiation, and then um, this warm, cuddly light is is more dark or black. Many of them say it has purple tinges in it. And then there's the white light we hear so much about. Some people say it has silver or gold tinges to it. Um, and and that's the light that that most adults will say is brighter than 10,000 suns. So obviously we're not talking about a yard light. <laughs> I mean, this is a big, 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 big light. Um, but they describe that as, you know, that that light knows your name, knows all about you. There's no way you can lie to that light. You can converse with that light. And and that's where this unconditionally loving uh, description comes from with this light. There's something about this light that makes you more creative and opens you up in, in incredible ways. Well, you know, it, it, going back to the kids again, the, the, the kids call that black or dark light mother light. And they call that really bright or white light father light. And they make it very clear. You know, some of them even take their finger and wiggle it from your nose. Said, you know, that mother light and father light come from God's light. So, so God's light doesn't have any, have any color particularly. It's, it's more of this raw, piercing, radiance that just goes instantly right through you. Instantly you're fried, but there's no pain. That that <laughs> light is just wow. And, wow. and you know, the kids make that differentiate uh, they make that, those differences. Yes. And, now you also said in the book the soul has a will of its own apart from personality. I thought maybe we could get you to talk about that. Yeah, with adults and children both. Um, so many of them see their soul, or they come to realize they are a soul, or both. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, it's like our soul is within us, but yet um, the soul can have a life outside of us. So it, it's that interesting thing of, well, uh, are we going to talk about the soul? Are we going to do some research on the soul? And... um what you can find so often with a person, for instance, who's dying, is if um, they're really animated and um, a lot of, you know, uh, response, especially creative response, it's like the soul is there. But if they're just kind of like an automaton and they're just kind of rote and they're they're just kind of, you know, on, on automatic pilot, it's like the soul is gone. And it's like the body um, can continue. It can be animated, but it can't be creative. It can't have that bright uh, creativity that, uh, that it can have when the soul is resident. And you see this with children being born. It, it's, um, it's like um, many different uh, doctors uh, notice this, that some children are born kind of quiet and they're not all there and they're just blah. And then maybe a couple of weeks later, maybe even a month later, maybe a few days later, then it's like the baby wakes up and the eyes are bright and they're, they're responsive. So the, this idea of when is the soul resident, when is it not, 
and the idea that uh, what we get from near-death experiences is the soul can go in and out. And you can always tell when it's resident. You can always tell when it's out. There, there's, it goes in and out. And what many uh, experiencers come to realize is, it, is, it, is that the soul itself, our soul, is massive. I mean, it's huge. Mm. It, it's a light of its own. And it has a mind of its own. It, it knows why it's here and what it's doing, whether or not you know. And, and the magic here is that we can merge more and more into soul and into soul consciousness with prayer and meditation and spiritual ritual and awakenings. It's like maybe that's one of the purposes of Mm. prayer and meditation and and spiritual ritual is it's to help us join with our soul. You, you You know, you talk about people who are really aware and really psychic and really intuitive and really right on, is that a function or is it where we have become more of who we really are and who we really are as our soul? So, you know, you can debate that all you want. There's no way we can prove it, but if you're looking at the majority of near-death experiencers, certainly not all of them, but the majority, we come to realize that, you know, the soul really is in charge. You also write, uh, death is a shift of consciousness and speed of vibration. Yeah, that's all it is. I mean, <laughs> the only thing you lose is your body. <laughs> you know, you walk right through. Well, you know, it's like the other side is layers upon layers upon layers, or dimensions upon dimensions. It's like a layer cake. There's all Mm -hmm. these different layers. And that those that are vibrate very slowly and seem a little bit darker, uh, that's what we have greater mass. That's what many people call hell. And those that vibrate faster and have more light, that's what many of us call heaven. And, uh, and and this shows almost in case after case, yes, there's always exceptions, but usually case after case. Um, when you die, you go to wherever you vibrate. In other words, you're drawn by frequency of vibration. And, and it, who you really are inside your deepest self, that's your frequency of vibration. That That's who you really are. And and that truth of who you really are, that vibration of who you really are, is what will determine or is called or is pulled to whatever level you need to be or is best for you to be after you die. And for some of us, it's a slower, more massive, or a darker vibration. Some of us, it's a lighter, um, faster vibration. I think you you said that hell is... uh Repressed guilts, fears, and sorrows. Yeah, well, that's what I found caused a lot of the heaviness. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, what I found so fascinating, I, I never, Leon, with, with all these people, nearly 40 years of work, never did I find a top and never did I find a bottom. In other words, you're not going to rot forever in hell and you're not going to be playing a harp forever in heaven. Mm. 
there's no top and there's no bottom. And when I really, really looked at, at this dynamic, and it is a dynamic, it's like a construct, um, it, it, it seemed to be powered by choice, our choices, um, and, and where we really need to be to learn what we need to learn or to open up as we need to open up or choose to open up. And we run it. We run it. it, it God is, 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 God does not judge us. We judge ourselves. Mm. And we run yeah. this dynamic. And, I, think and, you, I think you also said uh, only the experiencer can decide if, if their NDE was a positive or a, or a negative experience. Oh, amen, amen, amen. You know, I, <laughs> well, I think we have time for uh, an example. I'll, I'll, I'll hurry really fast. I, okay. I, was, I was at a large, large um, room, and I was giving my talk on the near-death experience, and there were even people standing. I mean, the place was packed. And at the end of my talk, I said, anybody here who has um, never talked about their near-death experience, you know, uh, if you want, you can come up to the mic now. And a woman and a man volunteered. The man was first. He was in, oh, gee, I'll say maybe his early 30s. And he talked about the most loving, beautiful, heavenly case. I mean, people were crying. It was so beautiful. And then he shocked everybody when he was through, and he said, this is the worst thing that ever happened to me. It screwed up my life. I am sorry it ever happened. It is terrible. And then this woman jumps up and, and describes um, uh, being on the other side with this terrible storm and it's really dark and there's a lot of noise and thunder and she, she's, yeah, she's in this whirlpool and she's fighting to, to get to the shore and it's sucking her down and she's having to really, really fight to get out of there. And and that that was her near death experience, and <laughs> she shocked everybody. And she said, "This is the best thing that ever happened to her in her life. She felt mm. blessed to have this because it proved to her that that uh, we can always handle whatever happens. There is always a second chance. And out of that one night." It just picked me up by the bootstraps and turned me around and said, you cannot use terms, negative, positive, when you're talking about near-death experiences. You don't have the right to use those terms because they're judge- judgmental, and it's up, it's up to the experiencer. It's the experiencer who decides whether it was positive or whether it's negative. Steve Jobs, you quote him as, you know, his last words as he's dying, saying, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. Yeah. You know, everybody, almost everybody, uh, all the cases I know of, especially of of movie stars and the like, um, who were in an accident or, you know, whatever, and and if they're a witness that's there, uh, at that moment of their death or... um, very, very close to that moment of their death. It's very similar to Steve Jobs. They're just caught by the beauty on the other side. And, and they talk about that and, and realizing that, that they really were supposed to die at that moment. 
they really were supposed to die at that moment. Um, and it, it, it's just, it, you know, that's another wow. Yeah. I, as a chaplain, I see that in the hospital all the time. It seems like a joint decision between your body, your soul, and the universe that uh, when your time is at hand. Yeah, that's when you're going to go, and you're not going to go early. No, no. They, I, I often say the worst doctors in the world can't kill you until God's ready for you. <laughs> I love that. I, you should be interviewing yourself. Hey, that's <laughs> well, listen, anybody who comes to the um, uh, near-death conference next week in Antonio, Texas, will 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 hear some of the passages from this book. It's called Glimpses of Tomorrow, I, or excuse me, Glimpses of Beyond. And I give it Thursday night, next week, Thursday night. I'm looking week. forward to it. <laughs> and uh, it's it's 40 drawings from near-death experiencers in six countries. And um, then I give passages from this book because, again, the drawings are theirs. And the book yes. is theirs. Yes. And um, I really, really feel like we need to honor the near-death experiencer. Um, well, I certainly think you, you have done that with this book, PMH. Uh, we're uh, f- sadly out of time. How can listeners find your website to learn more about your other research and writings? www.pmhatwater.com. Just at water pmhatwater.com and please participate in my next research and it's right there on the homepage. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, my thanks to PMH Atwater for her fascinating research and collective portrait of the NDE's proof of God. I, I hope you'll be able to come meet her and talk with her at the upcoming IONS conference in San Antonio, Texas. If you would like to listen to this show again or any other of our previous programs, please visit our website at nderadio.org. And for more information about IANS, please check that website at iands.org. There will be information on that site about our upcoming Labor Day weekend conference in San Antonio on NDEs as rites of passage, and that's from September 3rd through 6th. Uh, PMH will be there, and I look forward to seeing you there as well. Thanks for listening. <laughs>